Good evening. Welcome. It's uh, good to see you all here. And welcome if you're joining us online. Sometimes in the Bible, there's a truth that God really wants people to understand. And tonight we're going to be looking at the truth that God is our Redeemer. And to get that across to people, God gave a really good example in the Old Testament. He got one of his people to marry a wife. His wife cheated on him, ran away, ended up ruining her life and being sold in a slave market. And he goes and buys her back. And that's a picture of what God has done in redeeming his people. And if we know him as our redeemer, then we can be sure whatever life brings to us. So our first song celebrates that. And let's uh, stand and sing when the music starts, I will glory in my Redeemer.
We're going to be reading from the Bible. It's one of the great passages of the Bible and one of my favourites. We're going to be reading from Romans chapter 8. And our reading starts at verse 31. So Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, we ask that you will help us to pray now. We ask that you will help us not just to read your truth, not just to know your truth, but, oh Lord, we pray that it will be the way we live our lives. Oh Lord, we thank you that for each one of your children there is that glorious certainty that nothing but nothing can separate us from your love. Oh Lord, you you know how our faith is so often weak and we look at the things around us and we feel miserable. But if we know you and we know how much you love us and we know that you didn't spare your only son for each one of us. Oh Lord, how how sure we can be that you will be working out everything, however tough it seems to us, for the very best. Oh Lord, I ask that each one of us will be able to grab hold of that truth and that we might be able to value that truth like it should be valued so that being a ransomed redeemed child of the living God becomes the main thing for us. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll turn our sinful hearts away from chasing after other things and looking forward and looking up and wanting to do what the one who loves us 
wants us to. To live our lives fully for you. So that we might be your messengers on this earth. Examples of what God can do in a weak human through your great power. And Lord, we need you to work. We need you to work to change us, to help us resist temptation. Oh Lord, you know how weak we are. You know how we tend to go in the wrong direction. So we ask that you will help us. Oh Lord, we pray that as we live in this world and as we try and tell people about you, Lord, you will make them hungry. Oh Lord, we thank you for the opportunities we've had over this last week, whether it's the men's golf day or the ladies' curry night or the children that we had on the holiday Bible weekend and their parents. Lord, many of them have heard about you. Oh Father, we pray that you will make them hungry for you that they will want to know you. And Lord, we ask that you will give us enthusiasm to keep on telling people about you, knowing that the seed we sow will produce fruit just at the time that you have in mind. Oh Lord, we, we thank you that you are the rescuer. You are the redeemer. You paid a great price. And we ask that as John brings your word to us, it will come powerfully into our hearts this evening. So be with us as we worship you. Amen. Amen. Going to sing again. And we're going to sing about our glorious hope. And let's pray that it does burn within our hearts. Not just a little song that we sing, but that's something that really makes a massive difference to the way that we live.
Just before we have our second reading, um, we have prayed and give some thanks for how it went yesterday and it was so encouraging uh, to see so many uh, children down here, to see such a lovely spirit, to have such lovely weather, many answers to prayer, uh, a great time was had together. And just to encourage uh, those who were involved or are involved with children's work, I came across this little quote in a, a Christian newspaper, I was reading Evangelicals Now last night, and the title goes, uh, Pompeo Focus on Sunday School Teaching. Former US Secretary of State, a sort of Foreign Secretary, Michael Pompeo has announced that he will not run for President in 2024 election in order to focus on being a Sunday school teacher. He said, the time is not right for me and my family at each stage of my public service as a soldier, as a member of the US House of Representatives, and then as Director of the Central Intelligence Agency and as Secretary of State, I've blessed to have the opportunity to advance America in a way that fits the moment. And he carries on later. Uh, For now, Susan and I have concluded that we can best serve as parents, Sunday school teachers, community leaders and business leaders. So there you go. From that point of view, you're doing a better job than US presidency to be involved with children's work. So take heart and be encouraged. But we're now turning to our second reading, which is going to be our main passage for this evening, which is Job chapter 19. Job chapter 19. That's on page 429, if you're using the church Bibles, and you might want to keep your Bible open on that for the message later. I'll say a little bit more about uh, Job when we get to the the main message part, but it it is a book where we get a lot of insight into suffering through this poor man, Job, who goes through so much. Uh, This evening we're looking at one chapter, chapter 19, and as we read it, you'll get an insight into his feelings and also into his faith. Uh, look out for both as we go through. Well, I'll give some, uh, some little, in, little introductory comments as we read through the different sections. So, verses 1 to 5. Job here is speaking. He's responding to, to Bildad, who's the, the friend who's last spoken. And in verses 1 to 5, he responds to the harsh advice of his so-called friends. Job 19, 1. Then Job answered and said, How long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? These ten times you have cast reproach upon me. Are you not ashamed to wrong me? And even if it be true that I have erred, my error remains with myself. If indeed you magnify yourselves against me and make my disgrace an argument against me. And the next set of verses, uh, in this awful situation which he faces, he feels that God has put him in that situation. Verse 6. Know then what God has put me in the wrong and closed his net about me. Behold, I cry out violence, but I am not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. He has walled up my way so that I cannot pass 
and he has set darkness upon my paths. He has stripped from me my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side and I am gone and my hope he has pulled up like a tree. He has kindled his wrath against me and counts me as his adversary. His troops come on together. They have cast up their siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. Then from the next set of verses, 13 to 22, you see that the isolation that he is experiencing. He has put my brothers far from me. And those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I have become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must plead with him with my mouth for mercy. My breath is strange to my wife and I am a stench to the children of my own mother. Even young children despise me. When I rise, they talk against me. All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I loved have turned against me. My bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth." Have mercy on me, have mercy on me, O you, my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? And then in the remainder of the chapter, we see how even in the anguish, his faith comes to the fore. Verse 23. Oh, that my words were written... Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another." My heart faints within me. If you say how we, we will pursue him and the root of the matter is found in him, be afraid of the sword for wrath brings the punishment of the sword that you may know there is judgment. So that's our chapter which we shall look at uh, a little bit later. But next we have uh, another hymn another song, and it is very much on the theme of this evening. It is the song, There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. Let's sing our next hymn.
I was uh, visiting uh, an elderly lady a, a couple of months ago who was at a, a very weak point. Uh, I wondered if she was near the end of her life. Um, it was difficult to have that much conversation uh, with her as she was so weak. I visited her in her residential home where she was confined to bed. Uh, she responded to some of the things that I said, but I wasn't quite sure how much she understood And then, in her weakness, she said some words from her own initiative. And they were words from the Bible. She said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And I was greatly encouraged that that's what was going through her mind in her tremendous weakness. I wondered if it would be the last time uh, that I saw her. And I thought how good it was that God had put that thought, that conviction in her mind to be able to stir up the strength to bring it and to say it uh, to me when we talked. Well, she's since revived quite a little, thankful for that. But um, I thought that those words from God's word that she mentioned with confidence, despite being weak, and possibly near death, would be good for us to think about and to be encouraged about this evening. Can you say those words? I know that my Redeemer lives. It's good if you can say those words genuinely. It's good if you can say those words when you're weak and suffering. Special, it's very special. It's good if you can say those words when you're facing the end of life. I know that my Redeemer lives. They're from the book of Job. It's a lesser known part of the Bible. Just a little bit about it to to, uh, sort of get you on track. Um, It's a lesser known part of the Bible, but it has lots of insights and lots of contribution to say about the whole theme of suffering. Um, It has a a beginning, a middle and an end. And uh, the beginning is clear, but very sad in the first couple of chapters particularly. Tragedy after tragedy affects Job in a short space of time takes his staff, takes his livestock, takes his business, takes his family, takes his wealth, takes his health. We learn at the start that actually Satan is behind what is happening, but that God is also allowing it to happen as part of something that would teach Job and test Job. So we have the start, which is short and clear in the first couple of chapters. Uh, The end is is clear and powerful, especially from sort of 38 to 42, if you're going through Job, the last five chapters or so, God speaks to Job and he responds in humble worship. The end of all he's been through. And God restores to him many of the blessings that he lost. So you have a clear start and a a clear end, and then you have a long and big middle. And the long and big middle is uh, not always quite so clear as what's happening, if you've read it. 
Job in his tremendous suffering is talking it through with his friends. And his friends are not always helpful and they're not always wise. And they say some half-truths and they leave Job so often feeling worse as a result of what they say. And in amongst all these discussions that you have in the long middle part, you get, you get glimmers of light and faith. And we're going to look at one of them this evening as we look in chapter 19, if you like, a slice of this middle bit. And in it you get some insight into his suffering and then you get his remarkable statement of faith. We'll look at both. I'm going to read the remarkable statement of faith at the outset before we look at both. Verses 25 to 27, Job 19. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. So we'll look at the two parts. Not going to spend so much on the first part, but I wanted to give a, a sample of, uh, of Job's suffering so that we don't sort of miss out on that. That's helpful to us and it sets a backcloth for what we look at. So we're looking first, if I turn this on, we're looking first at Job's feelings in his desperate sufferings. So Job might not make happy reading, but it does often make helpful reading. And Job had it really hard. Uh, Life might be rather happy for you now, and that's good. But it might always be happy for you, and for some of you it might not be happy. It might be very hard. And Job does give insight for us into what hard life can be like and the the sort of wrestling thoughts and the difficult feelings that go with it. So we just noticed those. We've read about them, but I just want to highlight a few things and they give a backdrop to the faith that we see demonstrated. Well, through this chapter, we, we see that he feels wounded by his friends. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, you may have heard it said. Rubbish, says Job, verse 1. He says to his friends, how long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? The bad advice of his friends were causing him immense pain. They were making things worse rather than better. They've been telling Job, it's all your fault. You're suffering this much. It must be because you're that much of a sinner. And they poured these sort of thoughts towards Job, which just made him feel worse and weren't really based on the truth that they should have been conveying. Maybe you still feel the pain of words in your childhood, in recent experiences. You shudder to think of them. They've, they've shaped and formed your view of yourself and of your circumstances. You still feel the pain of them. Job feels wounded by his friends. 
But more than that, Job feels God is against him. He feels, that's how he feels. His friends are no help, but at, at, the, at the moment, as he writes this and as he expresses how he, he feels, he feels that, that God is not helping him. That might surprise you, but that's how he feels. He feels he's praying and, and not getting answers. He feels he's being hemmed in. Verse 7, Behold, I cry violence, but I am not answered. I call for help, but there's no justice. Verse 8, He has walled up my way so that I cannot pass. He has set darkness upon my path. Well, that sounds strange. Those who are Christians walk in the light, and yet Job is talking about walking in the darkness. But that's how he feels. The feeling here, his feelings, that's what's going through his mind. That's his experience. And you carry on in verse 9. He talks of God having stripped from me my glory. He's taken the crown from my head. Of course, we know that Satan is, is doing so many of these things. But this is how Job is feeling at the moment. He writes these things. He breaks me down on every side and I'm gone. Well, what about your hope, Job? How much hope have you got? Well, my hope has been picked up, unrooted and chucked on the compost heap. That's what's happened to my hope. That's how he feels. Carries on. He has put my, he, he has kindled his wrath against me and counts me as his adversary. His troops come on together. They have cast up their siege ramp against me and encamp around me, my tent. So Job is as if he looks out of his tent to see what's out there and there are tanks and there's artillery and it feels as though it's God's army that's all against him. So here's this man, and he's a righteous man, we're told that at the start, he fears the Lord, and yet his current situation is to feel confused and and puzzled and disappointed with God and a a sense of God's smile not being on him. That's how he feels. And maybe there are times where actually you, you can identify with some of those feelings. You might not say them, they don't sound very spiritual, and maybe they don't last long, but Christians do sometimes have these sorts of confused struggles of anguish and disappointment and spiritual disorientation. He feels rejected by those close to him. And see how it lists out. Verse 13, by his brothers. He has put my brothers far from me. His friends and family. Verse 14, my relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. His workers, verse 16, I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must plead with him. He's he's my servant, yet I'm having to plead with him to help me. His wife, verse 17, my breath is strange to my wife. It's as if his wife doesn't want to know him, doesn't want to be near him, doesn't understand him. Verse 18, young children, do they respect Job? Even young children despise me. His closest friends, verse 19, all my intimate friends abhor me and those whom I've loved turned against me. So, this is, this is what it feels like to be going through his current phase of life. Now maybe you've felt pretty let down by those who should have dealt with you better 
or you thought should have dealt with you better. And, and life's a pretty lonely pathway. And you feel pretty isolated. You feel a bit like the leper we heard about this morning. All this gives insight into how, how Jesus felt, doesn't it? I mean, he's the righteous sufferer. He was despised and rejected by men. His disciples ran away from him. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. His brothers wouldn't believe him. He even felt, in his expression, forsaken by God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So chapters like this do give us some insight into suffering. It's the suffering of Christ, but also the suffering of others. Some people do go through things like this and... Yeah, I haven't been adequate. I haven't conveyed it properly with its depth, but yeah, this is deep, and this is hard, and this is anguish, and this is so difficult to go through. Uh, maybe you, you, you've gone through one of those three things. Maybe, maybe you are going through one of those three things. Maybe you're going through all three of those things. Well, this is the backcloth then. Job's feelings in his desperate suffering. They give you a bit of a flavour of the book of Job as well. And they're moving from that dark backcloth, if you like. We now concentrate on the jewel that's shining on it. And we look at Job's faith in his living redeemer. Job's faith in his living Redeemer. He's desperate for the record to be put straight, even if it's after his death. So he says, verse 23, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. I want people in future to know what's really true and it's not what my friends are saying. And as he thinks of the situation being made clear, of being put right, of being cared for, then even in his anguish and in his isolation, he captures a sense of his Redeemer. And he captures it very definitely. And you have this remarkable statement of faith in verses 25 to 27. We're going to look at different bits of it this evening as we think of his faith in his living Redeemer. He says, I know. So much is difficult, so much is confusing, so much is beyond him. But here he comes to something and says, I know. There's something he's definite, there's something sure, there's something he's familiar with. Uh, can you say that sometimes when you're feeling overwhelmed? Have you got any response? Is there something you know? It's, it's great if in your suffering you can say, I know. And in your confusion you can say, I know. And if you're in a, a hospital bed you can say, I know. And if you're in a residential home you can say, but I know this. 
And as you're approaching death itself, you can say, I know! It's tremendous, it's tremendous. Well, what does he know? Some of you might know this, uh, this passage we're looking at. If you're into classical music, you've listened to Handel's Messiah. Some of you may have done. And these verses are, are sung by, I think, soprano, I think it is. It's part of the Handel's Messiah music. What does he know? Well, he, he knows this. I know that my Redeemer, he has, he has a Redeemer. In the Old Testament, it was someone who sort of stands up for you, uh, looks after things for you. Often it would be a close family member. They, they sort out your debts, they protect you, they get justice for you, they provide for you. And Job knows that he has a redeemer. He has got somebody on his side. He's not a family member, they're deserting him, they're not help to him, but he has got a redeemer. And Christian... You have a redeemer. We sang, there is a redeemer. We sang even more personally, Jesus, my redeemer. Have you got a redeemer? You're starting to understand this term. Perhaps you didn't know much about it, redeemer. Tony said some things about it at the start. You get a sense of somebody on your side who's paid a price full of love. Can, in the difficult, in the darkness, in the blackness, in the desperation, can you say, I know that my Redeemer, you've got a Redeemer in the situation, have you? Somebody who's redeemed at great cost. In the New Testament, talks about redemption through his blood. Somebody who's on your side. Christian, you've got somebody on your side. God is on your side. You might sometimes, like Job, wonder, is God on my side? Is is God piling all these things against me? You need to see it the right way, the biblical way. God is on your side. You do have a redeemer. Your father and mother may forsake you, but the Lord will take care of you. You have a redeemer. For I know that my redeemer lives. He has a living redeemer and that gives him a living hope. Someone who's active on his case. Someone who can make things happen, can do things. Somebody who can rescue and help. The Lord was Israel's redeemer. It is part of the whole Bible story early on in Exodus 6 and verse 6. The Lord says, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians where they'd ended up. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. The Lord was Israel's redeemer. And Christian, you have a living Redeemer. You have a living Redeemer. This verse we're thinking of this evening, I know that my Redeemer lives, uh, was special to uh, Ron Bishop. Many of you know Ron Bishop, uh, so involved with the life of the church here, passed away uh, just over four years ago. And uh, it became a special, a special verse to him 
since he was in uh, the, the Navy when the, the ship went back to Newcastle for a refit. And he went to the chapel there on, on, on the Sunday and he, the speaker there had a voice like a foghorn, he said. And he couldn't remember what was said apart from him saying, I know that my Redeemer lives. And so it ended up as a quote special for them as a family in their living room. I might, I think even what you saw at the start might be a picture of what used to be up in their living room. A living Redeemer. Of course, it makes us think and it points to its fulfilled properly in Jesus who rose from the death, from death. A Redeemer who lives actively concerned for us. Hebrews 7 and verse 25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Makes a tremendous difference, you know, to have a living Redeemer. It's going to be the the note of the final song we're singing. I know that my Redeemer lives. Makes a big difference, doesn't it? A living Redeemer, especially one who is powerful and compassionate, especially one who is the Son of God, especially somebody who has died for you and rose again for you. It makes it transforms the landscape. It is a life changer, picking up a phrase from this morning. And he knows that he's got a living redeemer who will stand upon the earth. Loved ones may die. Prospects, business prospects may die. Your earthly dreams may just begin to fade away. But your Redeemer, Christian, never dies. Your Redeemer never dies. And that's transformative. What a great encouragement it must have been to the suffering Christians who who heard uh, the book of Revelation when they hear Jesus saying, Revelation 1, 17 to 18, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. Jesus interceding on behalf of his people. The right hand of the Father, we had it in those grand triumphant verses of Romans 8 that were read earlier. I know that my Redeemer lives. And he carries on. And after my skin has been thus destroyed. Maybe he he felt he was facing uh, imminent death. He, He knows he's nearly been there. He's escaped by the skin of his teeth. Did you notice that in the phrase? That's where the phrase skin, skin, escaped by the skin of our teeth comes from Job 19 and verse 20, I think it is. But perhaps he still felt he was facing imminent death. If not, he's realistic enough to know that death would catch up with him. That his skin would be 
destroyed. If you have your, your skin, great blessing, isn't it? The organ of skin, all it does to keep us, help us, protect us. But our, our skin will be destroyed. It will, it, it will decay. And when it does, will you just die and rot? Will, will that be the end? If you have a redeemer, you know there is a, an afterward. After my skin has been thus destroyed, there is a future. If you have a redeemer, you have a future. Your skin may be in good condition now, that's rather nice. Perhaps you're at the stage of life where it's fairly smooth, not too many wrinkles. Maybe even it's had the the benefit of a a little bit of browning over the last uh, week or so and you're getting a little bit of a tan to it. Your your skin is is okay. But it, it won't stay like that, will it? After my skin has been destroyed... Got any hope beyond after that when your skin is not just wrinkly but decaying? Job could see beyond that. And after my skin has been destroyed, if you're a believer, if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've turned to Him, you have a hope that is steadfast and certain. Mention was made this morning about Tim Keller dying this week. I hadn't realised he was uh, near the end. I, I knew he had pancreatic cancer um, a few years ago. So in a way, I was quite sad and shocked. It's funny, isn't it? I've never spoken directly to Tim Keller, but I've heard him speak quite a number of times in, in London and, uh, and, and other places and heard messages and sermons. So I almost felt as though I knew him, you know, and I've read lots of his books. I almost felt like a bit of a friend. I felt quite sad to hear that um, Tim Keller had passed away age 72. Uh, on the day when the news came through, someone messaged me with one of his quotes very timely on the day of hearing his death. His quote, Tim Keller's quote was, all death can do to Christians is make their life infinitely better. All death can do to Christians is make their life infinitely better. Job knew something afterwards, after my skin has been thus destroyed. Maybe you've heard of the missionary John G. Payton, He was missionary to islands in the South Pacific Ocean at the end of the 1800s. You perhaps heard that uh, some of those um, who he told he was going to be a missionary over to those islands uh, objected. You might might, um, have some sympathy with those who objected because he was going to go and be a missionary to cannibals. And they uh, tried to stop him Cannibals, you will be eaten by cannibals. And uh, it was uh, Mr. Dixon who said that, and this is how uh, John Payton responded. Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honouring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. 
and in that great day my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Well, bold birds of faith, weren't they? But he got clear in his mind. After death, after decay, risen, resurrected body in the likeness of Christ. I know that my Redeemer lives and after my skin has been thus destroyed. So that, you know, is a great comfort in the face of physical deterioration. Some of you don't worry too much about physical deterioration because you're on the up in life. And you're getting fitter and you're getting stronger and uh, it doesn't seem much bother, does it? But, but others are feeling either on the hill or over the hill, on the downhill, and they're just finding that as the years go by, they're more and more limited. And the things they could do in the past, they can't do now, and some of it doesn't matter, but some of it worries them, and so they think where it's heading, and how it's all going to end up. What a comfort it is to be able to answer that, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And there's an afterwards. Sad thing to go over the hill in life, on down on the other side without being able to say, I know that my Redeemer lives. I hope you can say it. If not, I hope that you're, you're head off to Jesus in your heart. Confess your sins and put your trust in him. The final bit I wanted to draw attention to. And after my sin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. This isn't mere survival, this is a sublime privilege. Job, despite his current anguish and darkness, knows, not that he's just going to survive, but that he's going to see God. Perhaps he thinks the Old Testament's a little bit low on resurrection hope. He sees it very clearly. David saw it very clearly. He ended one of his psalms, Psalm 17, like this. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. The barriers and the distance would be gone. It would be no more a case of, where are you God? You seem to be distant from me. I don't understand what's happening. We're not, it doesn't feel as though we're connected. We feel estranged. No, I, I will see God. He will see God in his glory and in his beauty. It would be a, a bodily, he would have a body, a resurrected body. Yet in my flesh, he says, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. It would be definite, it would be face to face, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. It would be personal, it would be real. And, oh, how he longs for it. Oh, how he longs for it. So, he says... My heart faints within me. And you know, this is the hope of every believer. This is the prospect of every believer. 1 John 3 and verse 
2. I'll read verse 1. It sets the scene beautifully. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that God did not know him. Is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we shall be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Paul comforts the disconsolate Thessalonians in his letter, 1 Thessalonians 4, and he says this in verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds, that is, in in glory, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So isn't his faith in his living redeemer, isn't it it wonderful? I shall see God. You know, you can say that, Christian. I I shall see God for yourself. That's your future. So this wonderful statement of faith. This morning, someone... uh, came up to me and they were thinking of people doing their exams. There's quite a few, aren't there? GCSEs, A-levels, sat just behind, and probably a few others thrown in as well. Quite a few of you doing exams at the minute. And you're thinking about what you know. And you approach, they were just thinking along these lines in terms of the, the message this evening. You're thinking about what you know, aren't you? And you're thinking, well, do, have I, do I know that, is it, oh, I don't know whether it's dates, do I know the dates, do I, do I know those facts? Have I learned that list? Do I know, can I remember? Will I know enough? You're thinking about your knowledge. And it has its place, and I hope you do well. But here's something which trumps all of it. If you can say this, I know that my Redeemer lives. Yeah, you've got an exam on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. Yeah, okay. I hope you do well. Keep revising. Yeah, in perspective, but keep keep working hard. Do your best. But can you say this? I know that my Redeemer lives. Well, it may not get you your A-level or your GCSE, but it'll do much more than that. I know that my Redeemer lives. For others of you, it may be a time of suffering, maybe intense suffering, maybe isolated suffering. Maybe those who are listening on, you, you can't get here, you're watching now, or it's later in the week, you'll be, uh, you'll be sort of downloading or listening, it, listening to it, and you're suffering. And it's very hard, and it's bewildering, and it's confusing. And there's a lot you don't know about your circumstances. You don't know how long it's going to be. You don't know why it's happening. There's a lot you don't know. But in amongst a lot of things that you don't know, can you say, like Job, this, I know that my Redeemer lives. 
and that at the last it will stand upon the earth and that after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. When you're weak, when you're bed-bound, when maybe you think you're in your final months, then you'll still have something to shout about. If you, like my friend at the start of the service, can say, I know that my... Redeemer lives. Well, let's pause before our final song. It may be something which has been helpful or challenging or encouraging, but you just want to turn into a prayer person yourself. So I'll allow a minute or so for us to do that before our last song. Well, let's sing together then our last song. I know that my Redeemer lives. What joy this great assurance gives. He lives, he lives, who once was dead. He lives, my ever-living head.
we know that the pathway for some is exceedingly difficult and hard and confusing, painful. But we thank you for the tremendous, towering truths of your word which brings such comfort and certain hope in the face of difficulties and weakness and the end of our lives. And we pray that we may all be able to say, perhaps for the first time if we haven't said it before genuinely, or reminded and refreshed uh, again in our hearts, that I know that my Redeemer lives. Amen.